Hi, I'm Joe and welcome to what is sure to be a bumper episode of The Market, the sixth episode in fact. Uh, joining me today, I've assembled three of the city community's most entrepreneurial minds. Uh, so to start off, we have a leading mind in the performance arts, Mr. Asan. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm not a leading man in anything, but I'm really good. Thank you. Good man. Uh, we also have a man who's currently got the greatest coffee book known to history in the works, if you've been paying attention on Twitter, uh, Mr. Howard Hawking. How are you, sir? Good afternoon. I think there might Good be co- copyright issues with that, to be honest. So. Just go for it anyway, because the next person will get you out of any mess you may, be, may find yourself in. Uh, we've got Lord Panic's special advisor, Stefan. How are you doing, sir? Good, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Um, Listen, I think it's fair to say there is a humongous uh, summer window on the horizon for Manchester City and possibly some of our domestic rivals. So to start with, I felt the best um, way to approach this would be cover some some baseline figures. Um, So I'm going to go down the dreaded table to start with, i.e. the net spend table. Uh, uh Uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> These figures um, cover the period 2019, so summer 2019, the first, the last someone even before the COVID pandemic to the, the present day, essentially. Um, I'll start with City, uh, and we're judging this by players in and out, obviously. So City uh, in that time have brought 38 players in with 47 out, leading a net spend of 119.52 uh, million. Uh, Liverpool in that time, 25 in, 29 out, uh, at a price of 262.60 million. Uh, United, uh, 29 in, 21 out, uh, with a eye-watering 581.85 million net spend. Um, Arsenal, 31 in, 33 out, uh, at a price of 491.19 million. Uh, and a club that this is probably the last we'll mention of them because they could have their own podcast uh, to themselves, and no one's quite sure of their their operating business model. Uh, and that's Chelsea, who have brought in uh, thirty three uh, and thirty six, leaving uh, at a net, which won't surprise many, of six hundred and fifty six point eight five million, uh, five times greater than City. Um, so. Some glance figures. I think something that, uh, and I know, Stefan, you've said similar before, um, is that a greater representation of how a club's doing economically and financially is probably a sum of amortised uh, transfer fees and wages as a percentage of a club's overall revenue. Um, so for City, Liverpool, United and Arsenal, I've got some figures here which I'll, I'll run you through 2019 i.e. the last market before the pandemic and last summer, uh, 2022. So in 2019, uh, as a figure, Arsenal's total expenditure on amortisation and wages as a percentage of total revenues was 78.81%. Liverpool's sat just lower at 72.92%. Uh, Manchester City's uh, was 76.96% and United was at 70%. Uh, so that was pre-COVID. Uh, we fast forward that to the summer just gone. Um, Arsenal have, have jumped up quite sharply from 
78 to 86. Uh, Liverpool remain in a similar area on 75.32%. City have gone down uh, to 72.66%. And United have had the biggest increase of all the clubs, uh, increasing from 70% to 88.53%. So that is, in a nutshell, um, the 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 essential sum of amortization plus wages as a percentage of, of each of these clubs' revenues. Uh, and a question that I'm going to start with for you, Stefan, is there's been a lot of talk, um, given that there's potential takeovers of, of the likes of United and Liverpool and on, on other um, fan media podcasts of if a club wished to spend, for example, £250 million in a summer gross, um, how could they? Um, and I know we've done some some brief discussions on offline where you presented a a kind of a a way of doing it, uh, for lack of a better phrase. So that is my question to you to start with, please. If if a club at the outset of this summer window had a budget of two hundred and fifty million gross that they wanted to spend, how is best that they go about doing that? Well, look, look always the easiest way is to start selling off uh, some some assets that you've acquired for either a long time ago so that their, um, their value on the books is very low and therefore anything that you sell them for is profit or alternatively young players. And if you sell young players, um, you, players that have come through the youth system, uh, chances are they were acquired for virtually zero or in the books at virtually zero and therefore anything you sell them for goes straight to the bottom line as profit for the purposes of um, sustainability and financial fair play, both UEFA and Premier League. Now, let's say you're not in that luxurious position. Um, really, you go through you know various various steps. I mean, the first step is how do you get the cash to actually make the payments on the initial instalments of the 250 million? So ordinarily, of course, in most of these transactions, only a proportion of the 250 gross will be payable in that first season. And in that in that sort of on completion time timetable, so you might only need, for example, a hundred million, uh, or maybe even less, uh, to complete deals of, in terms of cash, to complete deals of two hundred and fifty million pounds. So straight away, you're in more into the realms of possibility. That said, not many clubs have got a hundred million pounds sat on the balance sheet because it's it's pretty. Um, inefficient use of capital to just keep, you know, large wadges of cash on, on the balance sheet, uh, particularly for the types of owners that we have in the Premier League. So what tends to happen is that they would need um, either to have generated that income uh, and therefore have the cash or alternatively to get uh, money put into the club, either in the form of equity or in the form of debt um, from their shareholders or from lenders. So, Typically, what's happened, if you look at somebody like Newcastle, you'll have seen over the last few months, uh, periodically, there's been um, uh, returns on companies' house, which has shown that they've issued new shares to their existing shareholders. And they will have been issued pro rata to their existing holdings, and, and the shareholders would have subscribed for those new shares. What that would have done would have put cash into the company Newcastle United to allow them to pay the bills, cash out of the shareholders, i.e. out of their pocket. But what would have happened is that their 
their percentage ownership of Newcastle wouldn't have changed because they will have invested pro rata to their equity. Um, so in that way, that that puts cash into the business, it, it increases the number of shares in issue, but doesn't change the ownership of the business. Now, that's not a financial fair play trick. That's just how you get the cash into the business. And that's in a situation where, and this is going to be the same with almost all of the clubs, where they can't go to a third party and raise debt. So whilst United, probably Liverpool, possibly Arsenal, some of those clubs can raise commercial debt. Spurs have done it in respect to their stadium. Most clubs are not in a position where they, to have sufficient cash flow to be able to service debt. So what they need to do is get money put in in the form of equity from their equity shareholders. So in the case of Liverpool from FSG, in the case of City from um, the, the various shareholders that we have, Abu Dhabi and um, and um, uh, Silver Lake, um, uh, such that the, the, the club has the cash to actually pay for the, for the players. Um, of course, you'll remember City raised an enormous amount of cash about two years ago um, uh, and uh, through the Silver Lake investment um, and through a debt raise as well on top of that. And I, I did a piece actually for the Manchester evening. Well, they, we did it. We did a podcast and they wrote, they wrote a piece on the base of it. So if anybody wants to understand that situation, they should go back. The extent to which we can access the cash in CFG is obviously we don't know, but that that's just a cash element. I don't know whether that's clear before we move on to the next bit. I know I've been rambling for a while. No, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, agreed. So, okay, so that's that's the cash element. There's then two layers of sustainability and financial fair play that the clubs are going to be concerned about. One is the Premier League, and the Premier League one is. I think now probably a more pressing concern for most people Um, because at the end of the day, if something goes wrong in relation to UEFA fair play, it's kind of a well-trodden path. You, You understand that you're likely initially to do a settlement agreement. You're likely to have quite a manageable fine, but it's not likely to impact on you in any sort of material way in the short term. It might do when you get up to the PSG level where you're on your second and third settlements agreement. But on the first one, you're probably fairly relaxed about it. Now, clearly, that's not quite the same with City. But um, with the other teams, none of them have yet gone through a settlement period, a a settlement agreement with uh, UEFA. And I think what's interesting when you look at the Chelsea situation is it's almost accepted in some quarters that they may sort of knowingly breach European FFP, take the consequence, take the fine, and just see it as a, effectively a cost of doing business that allows them to to jump forward in terms of their spending. But just concentrating on the on, on the Premier League one, that's a little bit more uh, complicated. One because uh, it, it's a, a relatively low cap in terms of the three year losses, even after adjustments. And secondly, we don't know yet because we haven't seen the Everton case and we haven't seen the City one to an extent, although, of course, the consequences on the City one, I think, are far greater than the Everton one. Um, on the on the Everton one, we'll sort of get a feel for what a breach of sustainability rules in the Premier League means in terms of points. 
because I think that it's going to be an interesting test case. I think largely because I suspect they have breached the 105 million quid by quite some way. They probably were looking at mitigation because they were heading the right direction and have been working with the Premier League for some time. But assuming that they are uh, those charges are found proven and they they have breached the sustainability levels, um, it's going to be interesting to see what what the Premier League do. Is it going to be a fine? Is it going to be a points um, deduction, et cetera, et cetera? But I think most clubs are not going to want to take the risk in terms of the Premier League and are going to be, fight pretty hard to get themselves in a position where they can comply. Now, in terms of compliance with that, most of these teams, including uh, Chelsea, will be able to meet the Premier League FFP requirements if they sell a couple of players. And the reason for that is because, particularly in the case of Chelsea, they have a huge number of youth players where profits from those sales will go straight to the bottom line in the given year and will therefore counterbalance the losses that they've made in the near term. So if you look at Chelsea, for example, it's going to be relatively straightforward. And and this is going to sound contradictory to a lot of the stuff I'm going to say about the, the, the transfer market. I think it'll be relatively straightforward for them to be able to bring in something in the order of £100 million of profit if they wanted to this summer on player sales. And that's largely because I think they've got the sort of players who are going to be quite attractive mm-hmm. to other mm-hmm. Premier League teams who have got money and at the sort of fee level that is very manageable. And that's even aside from Mason Mount. I'm talking about that raft of other fringe players that they've got, you know, the Loftus Cheeks and these sorts of guys, where I think you can see that they can get 30, 40, 50 million for some of these players, Gallagher's another one, without necessarily massively impacting the strength of their first team squad and making big profits each time they do because of the amortization on those players. So I suspect that part of the strategy around Chelsea has always been that this summer there will be, you know, some people call it fire sale, but actually the reality is it's just going to be a sale of players of a type that is going to make them quite significant accounting profits to counteract the losses that they've made certainly over the last two years and probably in the third year back, they were probably marginally profitable. So the long and short of it is most teams, most teams will be able to make significant profits this summer, including City, if they wanted to. However, one team that I think is probably in with more of a challenge is actually United. And the reason I say that is because I think they've got a number of players who the ones that they could sell are the players they don't really want to sell. And Mm. players that they would like to sell are going to be very hard to shift for anywhere near the sort of fees that they paid. And they've been reluctant in the past to take that big haircut. And what I think that could do is, is, is impact their ability even if they're taken over by Qatar to really compete with those very, very big signings, unless they're prepared to go through with quite a wholesale 
um, sort of sell-off of fringe players. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.